This is CounselCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi, I am Karen Eber. I am the CEO and Chief Storyteller of Eber Leadership Group, which is a talent development boutique that focuses on helping companies reimagine and evolve how they're building their leaders, teams, and culture. And a big part of that is storytelling because storytelling helps inform, expand knowledge and thinking, influence decisions, and inspire people to action. Karen, thank you so much for being here. The one thing that you didn't mention is this amazing TED Talk that you have, and it's how your brain responds to stories. And I highly recommend this because I think there's some really amazing thing that happens. First of all, TED Talks are these great stories, and there's something about combining the the way that you are describing these stories with the science behind it that just really... I feel like it appeals to every kind of audience. So anyone who is listening, take a look. We'll obviously link to the TED Talk in on the show notes and everything, but that's a great place to start as well. So thank you for being here. So delighted to be here. I love that talk, clearly. Part of what I love about it is exactly what you said of it. It introduces some of these concepts of science that I know we'll talk more about today. But the goal is to show people like, it's not just talking about telling stories or presenting data that together they can be powerful and telling stories is such a more dynamic form of communication. So I'm thrilled that people have found the talk and gotten meaning out of it. Well, two things I wanted to start with. The first thing is that the title for the show is What Story Should You Tell? But before we even get into that, I want to ask if you feel like there's a little bit of a stigma around this word story. I feel like, does that kind of degrade or do people kind of squint a little bit when you talk about stories versus, I know in some of your blog posts, you talk about presentations and that makes it sound like a little different, more kind of professionally angled. But do you feel like there's any kind of stigma around that word? It's an interesting moment for stories. It's a blessing of social media and attention has drawn a lot of banter around the word story and raised it to an attention level that's been probably the loudest we've seen in some time. But then it also is viewed as this fluffy thing sometimes that isn't this credible way of communicating. But where I love to cut is right up the middle that is how you can think about the science of communication, which storytelling is a big piece of, and start to really understand what happens in the brain when you're listening to information versus stories and how you can really harness those things when you're building a story to have the brain actually be more engaged and get to better outcomes. Because the reason we tell stories in our professions and in our lives is there's some outcome we want, whether that is to make friends and family laugh or to help someone get a new way of thinking or perspective or even to influence a decision. And so understanding that science makes a big difference and it helps you think about that when you're telling a story. So what is, so let's dig into that though. What is the difference between telling a story and just giving a presentation with some information or data and what's happening in your brain? What's the difference between, you know, what's happening in your brain with those different kinds of, you know, communication, I guess. 
Yep. There is what I love to call the five factory settings of the brain. So I've been studying the neuroscience for years. I'm not a neuroscientist, but a lot of my work is informed by what our brain does. And that's impacting all of our leadership and communications. And as I started to look at the neuroscience, I realized there are certain ways that our brain responds to communication or information. So the five of these are helpful foundation to understand storytelling. So I like to tell the first three in combination. The first one is that your brain is lazy. And that is that your brain's number one job is to get you through the day alive. When you do that, your brain high fives you and says, amazing, do the exact same thing the exact same way tomorrow because it worked. We're alive. Don't change anything because our brain is the stingiest of bankers and it wants to hoard calories because this relates to the second factory setting of the brain. Our brain is constantly making predictions and not just predictions of like, am I in danger, but predictions for how do I need to move my body? How do I step my foot when I'm going downstairs? This is part of our survival of we're not responding. We are predicting our movements, our thinking. And so we use a lot of calories to do that. 20% of the body's calories are used by the brain. Of those, 80% go to predictions. So your brain is always wanting to have this surplus because it doesn't know what other predictions have to be made or if there's going to be an emergency. So your brain is lazy. And what that means in stories is that it's always looking for where it can conserve. And we know this when we Netflix binge a show we've seen because it feels really comfortable and we can kind of check out a little. Yeah, everyone's done it. That's your brain like saying we just want a bunch of comfortable, you know, let us feel all the dopamine and chill and go on easy mode. Because if it is new or different, if there is something unexpected, if there are really specific details, it's going to force the brain to spend calories. So that's part of what we want to think about of how are you intentionally helping the brain spend calories and slow down the ability to make assumptions by putting in these unexpected events or sequencing things in a way that feel unexpected. So those are the first two. The third one, which pairs with those, is that our brains are this massive library of files. So we're taking in 34 gigabytes of information every day through our senses. Most of it's happening subconsciously. You are taking in all sight sound. Who measured? Who's the guy that sat there and had to like, like measure the gigabytes of information? That's a crazy amount. Yeah, I think it's actually dated. I think it is actually higher, probably because of social media and the amount of things we're consuming. But what happens is so much of that happens subconsciously because there's sounds and smells and all these things happening around you, but you're not consciously processing them. They're just happening and they become familiar. But as our brain is taking in different things, we've got this huge library of files, like a Windows Explorer in our brain, where your brain is going through the files and saying, is this something we know? Does this go into an existing folder? Is it related to something we know? Do we need to create a new folder? So all of our experiences are filed away. So each time our brain goes to make predictions, it's looking at our past experiences and emotions to see, is there something here that will help inform our predictions? So when you are telling a story, you want to anchor to what is familiar. So if I say to you that uh, I'm at the beach and I smell coconut sunblock, you can immediately imagine what that smell smells like. 
and it takes the cognitive lift away. And so when you're telling a story, you want to find specific things to anchor to. You want to work in specific details because it is immediately going to take this image, this sound, this thing and place it in the person's brain and get activity that didn't exist. So first three, your brain is lazy. It's making assumptions and it's got this library of files and you want to intentionally leverage and manipulate these in the way you tell a story to get the most activity. The last two are that you're constantly seeking in groups and out groups. So in groups are groups we feel a part of, feel similarity, things we aspire to or want. Sales often taps into that, the I want that. These are places where we feel really comfortable. And from a survival standpoint, the more people around us can help provide shelter, food, clothing, you know, or protection. And so we naturally seek these things. Out groups are going to be those groups that we feel different from, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Charities use out groups in their storytelling all the time by telling you the story of the person or village that does not have clean water while you're sitting four feet away from your tap realizing, oh, my life is completely different. So when you're telling a story, you want to be intentional of... Am I trying to create an in-group and help someone empathize and, and feel a part of something? Or am I trying to intentionally help people feel different or both? Because it might be multiple throughout the story. And the last factory setting is that at the most simplest level, we seek pleasure and avoid pain. So we have serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, all these neurochemicals that are pleasure seeking that are reinforcing that are about connection and that are released in response to things so oxytocin is released in response to someone you can't command it you can't will it but when it is present it actually increases trust and so you have to think about am i trying to tell a story that helps people feel good that allows them to seek pleasure or am i trying to tell a story that is a little bit uncomfortable and avoid these things that might not be the most desirable so the opening story of my ted talk is about dropping a phone down an elevator shaft that's an uncomfortable story which causes the release of cortisol or adrenaline in your body so when you're listening to a story your brain actually mirrors the activity of the storyteller and your brain actually acts as though you are a main character in the story and you can experience these neurochemical releases. And when you're telling a story, you want to think about, am I trying to intentionally tell an uncomfortable story or am I trying to tell a feel-good story and harness those things? So those five give you a different, hopefully, a different understanding of story and you can start to see... There's different ways to pull levers on this when you're building a story that's going to result in more brain activity and a deeper engagement with it. Oh my gosh, that's so fascinating. I got so many things out of that. It's We'll, of course, have a summary on the show notes, but the first thing that I wanted to ask about is to go back to the part where your brain is burning all these calories and when it's trying to um, figure the second item that you were talking about. The assumptions. Uh, the mm-hmm. assumptions. So... Is your goal, and maybe the answer is it depends on the situation, but is your goal to make your audience work their brains and feel surprised and get those? Or are you trying to like give them comfort and give them the answers? Or what are you trying to do in that moment when you're telling a story? 
It does depend. So if you're telling a story to a child at bedtime, you want to give them comfort. You want to have a nice predictable arc that's calming, that is feel good, that releases all the dopamine and oxytocin so that they ease into slumber. But if you're out with friends or you are telling a story to a client, you might want to make sure that it is engaging the suspense, that it isn't easy to make assumptions or you tell it in a way that you know they're going to make assumptions in one direction and something different will be revealed. What happens when a story is predictable is that the brain will say, I know it's going to happen because our brain is making assumptions and predictions. It is always doing this. You're probably trying to guess what I'm going to say next, right? Our brain is naturally doing this because the faster it makes an assumption and decides what's going to happen, the faster it can slide into lazy mode. So you have to be thoughtful of how are you intentionally leveraging that or letting it happen. So I'm thinking of two scenarios that a lot of lawyers kind of come into contact or interact with. One would be a potential client, you know, what we normal people call a sales call. (laughs) Um, So that initial conversation where you're trying to decide if they're a good fit and you're trying to convince them of, you know, your services and all of that. So a sales call versus something like a jury. So they're sitting in front of a jury and it seems like in either of those situations, you don't want them making those assumptions. Is that right? You want to guide them through and what would the best kind of story be and what would the best approach be in those situations in terms of stories? It depends. Unfortunately, there's not an easy situation. What I would say is it's not that you don't want them making assumptions. It's being aware that their brain is naturally going to make assumptions. And are you going to try to influence where those assumptions go? Or are you going to let them make the assumptions they're going to do and then you surprise them in some way? Well, I would probably start with either of those, whether it's a sale or a jury is, am I trying to have the person, the group that I'm sharing this with feel a member of an in-group where we all feel the same. So in sales, it might be the, um, I'll have what she's having, right? I want that. That is often the in-group that people aspire to. In a, a jury, it probably depends whether what side you're on, what you want the jury to feel, if you're wanting them to empathize or not. I would probably start there and think about, am I trying to tell something that is uncomfortable or am I trying to tell something that is feel good? Like, what are the, what is it that I want that audience to have? Because this is, this is the secret of storytelling. It does not begin with a story. It always, always, always begins with the audience. Even if you know the story you are going to tell. Even if you have the idea, you have to start with your audience and what you want them to get out of it. Because if you don't, then we have all been on the other end of listening to someone tell the story they're excited to tell. And it is completely meaningless to us. And you just tune out and you count the moments until it's over. We've all done it. We've all experienced it. And those moments where it falls flat is because we are centering on ourselves and telling the story we love. I joke that this is like the uncle at the holiday table. You're telling the story you love to tell and not the story the audience needs to hear. So storytelling always starts with the audience. We were talking about this before we started recording, and I feel like this is so important. So I'm going to spend an extra minute on this. And I was talking about, we were referencing, especially on a website, and the kind of messaging and the stories that law firms and lawyers tell on their website. Oftentimes, what we find with our clients is on the bio page, 
the lawyer wants to tell the story of their resume, basically. This is where I went to law school. This is what uh, where I worked before. This is the kind of... And why is that kind of in line with what you're talking about? And why is that wrong? So the importance is the perspective. The audience probably wants to experience that through their own perspective. So I don't necessarily want to read it from your perspective of what you did, what you have, what you are. I want to hear how those things help me because our favorite person in the world is ourselves and our favorite topic is me, myself, and I. So when you can help someone understand it through their perspective, all the messaging, it is easier for them to put themselves in the center of it and see, oh, I can see myself experiencing that. Because unfortunately, our purchasing, our purchases are made when we see Oh, I I can see myself doing that. I can understand that. If we can't ever see ourselves in working with the person, then it doesn't happen. So when it is one way of me sharing out everything that I feel is fabulous about me that I want you to know, that may miss the audience because the audience is then making the assumptions and forced to do all the work to think about, well, what does this mean for me? So we go to the third factory setting, this library of files. If you anchor to what your ideal ideal audience member is your ideal client then that's going to make the difference because then you're going to be able to speak directly to them and then you're going to have people come into you and saying I feel like you're talking directly to me yes okay so exactly what you want exactly so so as a devil's advocate if I'm talking to a client and my client is the lawyer and he's saying Okay, but it's my bio page. How I'm talking about myself. How do I talk about myself and position that in terms of my client? How do you spin that message where they're talking about them themselves and their own experience, but in the kind of perspective of that potential client? So I love to frame it as if you were going to sit down and introduce yourself to someone that is like your a parent type, how would you tell that story? And then if you were going to introduce yourself to a seven-year-old, how would you tell that version of the story? And if you were at a function with colleagues, how would you tell that version of the story? Each time you would tell it differently based on who you're talking to, because you would recognize, well, the parent type might not fully understand everything I'm doing, so let me do it this way. And the child will have this inner... We do this naturally, and the same thing should happen to your about page, except the difference is that it is talking to your ideal client. So you have to spend a bit of time thinking through who is that ideal client? Who are you working with? And what are the problems they face? What are the hopes and dreams and aspirations they have? How are you making their life easier? What are those things? Because then it just lets you tell that version of the story to the person, just like you would in those other situations. Yes. Oh, I think that's so good. Because I, I, as you were saying that, I was thinking, also, I feel like the default answer for those bio pages where it's basically just, you know, copying and pasting their resume, that's the easy answer. And that's what their brain is trying to tell them. Like you need to, you just do the easy thing. That's what everybody else does. Just, you know, paste that up there. Um, But by doing that more complicated thought process about how you can speak to those clients, first of all, you're doing something that most people aren't. And so that's going to set you apart. And you're just going to have so much better response. Yeah. But I do want to build on something you said of it feels hard. It feels like extra work. It is your bio, your about, your 
you know, if you're a LinkedIn user, like that is the most painful stuff to create. When we're talking about ourselves, that is the hardest stuff. And this is where getting other people involved can be helpful because we live it. We don't necessarily know what is interesting or we may miss that. So this is where if you do take a little bit of time to really think that through, you can stand out differently and more importantly, create stronger connection with your clients. I also find that, like you said, it's so hard to talk about yourself, but when you get that other person and, you know, hire a writer, hire someone just to help kind of have that second opinion, then all of a sudden it just is like, okay, yes, that's the right thing to say. And I probably wouldn't have said it if I didn't have that outside opinion saying, oh no, this is what really needs to stand out. This is what's awesome. And that other stuff, nobody cares. (laughs) It's just extra. (laughs) Okay. So I know there's all these stories that people talk about that you should be telling. These like four critical stories. But in one of your recent blog posts, you talk about what stories should you be telling? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so so why? And what are those? And why should we throw them away? So I was working with a CEO in this company that when COVID hit back in March of 2020, his office, his company was multinational in different countries, and they were a very office-centric culture. So they realized, okay, everyone's now working remotely. There's a big shift for the company. And he realized, I need to send these weekly messages to help create connection. And no one knew what was happening in the world. So he you know, got through the first couple of weeks of logistics and all of that. But then he realized, okay, now I need to figure out something to talk about. And I've always been told there's the four stories you have to tell, the your origin story and the where you're going story and the why you can't say here. And it just, it didn't work. Like none of that was relevant for the time. And that's the challenge with those stories. The reason that people suggest those is that when you're trying to embrace storytelling, it is wide open and it's so hard to know where to start. So people say, start here, tell these four stories. And then most people create them and they stop. And it's a great place to start and get momentum, but true storytelling is looking at a situation, looking at the audience, your clients, a moment, and thinking, what is it that I want people to come away from this experience knowing, thinking, feeling, doing differently? Because that's going to dictate the story that I tell and how I tell it. The problem with being told the four stories is that you're going to find really quickly you need a story that isn't one of those four stories and it's not going to work. So what I prefer is to teach people, how do you find an idea for any setting? How do you figure out who your audience is and what you need? How do you take that idea and build it? And then how do you make sure you're leveraging those five factory settings of the brain so that you are getting a, a really impactful story? Oh my gosh, I feel like that just validated so many ideas that I've had about I'll regularly be asked to be on podcasts and things where they want to know my origin story. And I instantly cringe and I hate that. And I instantly am like, nope, sorry, pass, moving right along. There's something about, and there's nothing wrong with my origin story. I just find that saying it over and over is boring. And I don't really know why my audience would care. I mean, like, oh, I, you know, started at this yeah, it just feels boring and like not very, it's the lazy brain again. Yeah, it is. It is for you and it is for the audience. The reason that many podcast co start there is it feels like a way to open, but it is, you know, the challenge with the origin story in particular is that 
it's relevant for maybe three months, but as we've all run firms and services and run our businesses, really quickly life changes and who you thought you were gonna be as a company isn't who you are. It's like the aperture of a lens coming closer and closer into focus. And so when you're asked that, it's less interesting because it's like, well, no, let's talk about who I am now. I can tell you that, but what does it matter? And that's the challenge with all of this of it ends up force fitting a story that isn't, there's one that could be even more compelling for that moment. Thank you for not asking me, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I would never even consider that. It's not in any one of my checklists. And I find that I'm like, oh, gosh, let's get through this. And mine starts with like, you know, I started doing websites way in the beginning of the Internet. And so the only time it's relevant and interesting is when I'm talking to other nerds who also started working around that same time. And we can be like, ah, remember Napster. And then that's it. Like, that's as far as it goes. But that's not who my clients are. That's not who the audience I'm trying to appeal to is. And so I just feel like it's irrelevant for me. Yes. And if you take it back to the lazy brain, you're just wasting calories that could go to something more interesting. So yeah, this is always the challenge, especially for firms and people that are trying to get the attention of a jury or get the attention of clients and take them to a certain spot. Like the most powerful thing people can do is give you their attention. And we tend to think if we prepare a communication, everyone is going to hang on our every word and listen. And we're not. Just regular talking at people, within an hour, over 50% of it is lost, even more if you're using data and you haven't grounded it in a story. And those numbers start to go up dramatically when you are using a story to anchor. And so sometimes the argument is, but it's so much more work. Is it though, if you're communicating and people aren't remembering? It's just this challenge of if people are giving you the attention why don't you really try to harness that and leverage it to get the best outcome that you want? Yes. Oh, that is a great transition point to the book review. (laughs) So I know you have a great book to talk about recommending for our audience. We have a library of all the books that our guests have recommended. So what book do you have today to recommend that people should pick up? It is brand new. It is coming out or just came out ironically this week. So there's a neuroscientist, Dr. Paul Zak, who is one of the founding fathers in the recent realm of storytelling. He and his team researched the spike in oxytocin when people hear a story or a narrative and found this relationship with trust. And so he has this book that really digs into the science. It's called Immersion, the science of the science of extraordinary and the source of happiness. And it is delightful, science grounded, but super entertaining and compelling read that helps you just really start to understand the impact of our brain on the things that we consume and how it influences what we experience. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I love I love a new book and I love adding that into my list. And I, I just love the science of all of this and the neuroscience and kind of tying it into what's typically perceived as this soft skill and, you know, where we started the whole conversation, this sort of fluffy ideas. But when you really dig into what's happening inside your brain, it just gets so cool. Like it's such a cool thing to, you know, have these conversations and learn about. 
So I've been writing a book. It's called The Perfect Story, and it comes out in 2023. And it is exactly this idea of how do you make storytelling accessible, not limiting it to specific situations or four stories, but how do you find the ability to find a story, um, find a whole list of stories, create a toolkit of them, tailor them to whatever audience and situation you have. And it walks through how you build it out, how you really engage the factory settings of the brain, how you deal with vulnerability, how you avoid manipulation. It even talks through data and storytelling. Because my hope is that we can get people not to view it as a soft skill, but understand the science in an easy to follow way so that you can take something like the five factory settings of the brain and really start to work that into your story so that you're taking advantage of the attention and leveraging as much of the brain as possible. That sounds amazing because I feel like there is the one big, you know, current story brand book out there that really has a kind of lion's share of the conversation right now, but it really is formulaic and it really, it did not resonate with me. It's not the formula we use with our clients. And I get a lot of people talking, wanting to be on the podcast, talking about story brand. And I really have to kind of push back and say, it's just not, it's not a good fit. But it sounds like what your book, it's called The Perfect Story, right? Yes, yes. It comes out second half of 2023, probably fall next year. Um, I hear a lot about Story Brand too, such a popular book. And the model that is used there is the hero's journey, which is often used by the early Star Wars films, things like that. The challenge with, there's so many models and I just tell people find and use what works for you. But what I find is challenging for business leaders and people that are just trying to get into storytelling and understand it is that the model isn't very memorable. It's great if you are writing fiction or a narrative and you can kind of map out where you're going, but for your average person that's trying to land a thought in a meeting, they get really stuck trying to find their way or they can't seem to back their idea into it. And so my goal is to make storytelling accessible to anyone, not feeling forced fit into a particular model like that or one or two specific ideas for the stories you can tell. I want to show people how you can take any situation and do it. There's even how to give a eulogy or a toast or even work through a job interview. Yeah. And in those moments, there's not a a lot of great resources out there. And I feel like, you know, it's that those moments when you're like, okay, you know, I want to do this well, but what, you know, what's, it, it kind of leads you down the wrong path. And I feel like for, I don't want to harp too much on story brand, but there's some value there. But I feel like it's almost better for product-based companies where you can really kind of tell the story of how this is going to change your life, this, you know, XYZ skincare product or whatever. But when you're talking about a service, even though like legal services are very likely to change the course of people's lives, it's a real, you really have to twist things around in a way that almost ends up coming across kind of hokey. It's potentially diluting the opportunity you have to really lean into the emotions, right? Because that's what services are, particularly legal services, because you are getting people in very vulnerable moments in their life where they are looking for guidance or help or something that is going to be life-changing for so many. And emotions are a part of that. And so being able to go wherever is needed. So there's... 
so many different approaches out there and I'm excited to bring this one that will not only help you understand the science of the brain a little bit better, but also how to harness that and go through so many different ideas for building out and creating a toolkit of stories. That's amazing. Let us know when that gets released so that we can put it back out to the audience as well so that, you know, everybody who's listening can will then, you know, repost everything at that point next year when the book comes out. So, Karen, what's one thing that you know that works? In life? <laughs> well, or stories. Or, I mean, <laughs> sure, in life. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, yeah, no, this is actually a great example. I, can I do it with an example with you? Okay, tell me about your childhood. How much time do you have? <laughs> you just do like the two-sentence version. It's okay. Uh, I grew up in Minnesota, and I... I don't know what else to say. I grew up in the Midwest. That's perfect. This is intentionally part of it. And thank you. I completely put you on the spot. (laughs) I did too. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about a sound or smell that reminds you of home. Oh, okay. The sound of mosquitoes, (laughs) especially kind of at dusk and a smell of fried food. Right. So immediately... I know there's amazing stories with both of those. So what I know works is digging into details and I get a lot of where am I going to find an idea for a story. The reason that people feel like they don't have ideas for stories is they're looking too broad. So if I say, tell me about your childhood, the response is always the same. I grew up in this town. I had this many siblings or relatives or people in my life. I lived in this type of housing it's always like that and that's it because it's way too broad to know what to access. But when I say sound or smell, you had no hesitation. You immediately went there and saw it. So same thing happens in storytelling. If you dig into details, if you put constraints in place, then you will find endless ideas that the way to get creative isn't actually expansive. It is constraining. Oh my gosh, that was so cool. I love that. Oh my gosh. Okay, so Karen Eber, we are we will link to all of your awesome stuff and then as well we will repost everything when your book comes out so we can promote that as well. But thank you so much and also everyone needs to check out the TED Talk, how your brain responds to stories. But thank you so much for being here. We are going to do so much better. And I loved that cool e- example at the end. That was a fun little thing to do. But thank yeah, you again for being use here. It. That it's was, so fun. Yeah, it was awesome. So thank you so much for your time and all this insight. It was a great conversation. So wonderful to talk with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.